Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. So this is a very long chapter. Yes. After a very long chapter. Yes. So there's no time for banter at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> we have to we have to dive right in. Uh, but first, a quick disclaimer. There is a very awake and not at all tired baby crawling around at our feet tonight. Because she is very awake and not at all tired. So forgive the baby noises. If there are indeed baby noises. Hopefully she will tucker herself out shortly. So with that said, chapter 8 of our novel had us finally find out exactly who Tracker's mysterious client was, (laughs) what exactly they wanted him to do, also a little bit of backstory about the politics of the kingdom. Yes. And ultimately, we were introduced to Tracker's arch nemesis, (laughs) a man who he hates above all other people, whom he then attempted to murder and agreed to take the job only for the opportunity to see that man dead. And that is where we left off Chapter 8, and go into Chapter 9 of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. So we start back in the present. The present present? Or the past present? The present present with... The Tracker talking to the Inquisitor. Yes, okay. Yes. Um, and he posits uh, a bit of an interesting personal theory right off the top here. Better a mad king than a weak king. Better a weak king than a bad king. Yeah, it sounds sounds like a proverb, but may, probably isn't. Tracker is also kind of interested and amused that the Inquisitor seems more interested in hearing the story about where he got his wolf's eye than the fact that King Quash has now entered the picture in his story. Right. And he's like, dude, you should be more interested in the politics that are going on than my weird, freaky eye. (laughs) Don't worry about me. There are much bigger stories happening here. He also tells the Inquisitor here that he wasn't entirely certain that he was buying the entire story Bunchy was selling him. Because, as he puts it, she is the kind of creature who will never tell a lie, but is also very good at being slippery with the truth. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If there's one thing we know about tracker it's that he doesn't trust anybody and rightly so because this is actually in retrospect a very bleak story about a person who has known nothing but betrayal and heartbreak his entire life you kind of feel bad for the guy yeah so i mean he has no reason to trust anyone because his trust has been betrayed at every turn exactly while he is reluctant to believe her story about the king having basu senior's family murdered he does admit that he's heard enough by way of rumor to believe in that moment that it is certainly plausible um and he mentions that apparently king quash has been laying on the taxes quite heavily over the past few years and his chief opponent basu conveniently died 
and is not there to fight him on that fact anymore. And Tracker is savvy enough to know that when a king is hiking taxes, it's because he's putting together a war chest. Yeah. So there is war a-brewing. So after his chat with Bunchy that morning, he decides to take a walk alone, leaving Leopard and Fumali behind. <laughs> Just nowhere in particular. No, very particular, in <laughs> fact. He walks directly to the house of an elder he knows, a guy by the name of Bellican the Big, who he'd previously done a job for. And Bellican isn't exactly pleased to see Tracker, but hides it well enough. And Tracker invites himself in because Bellican is a bit of a notorious pushover because he is petrified by violence. And so it's very easy for Tracker to kind of lay into him with some intimidation. <laughs> and he knows he can get some info from the guy. Because if there's any info to be known about Basu, another elder is going to know it, is Tracker's theory here. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. He lets Bellican show off his wealth a little bit and then uses that as the opportunity to finally ask after Basu. And Bellican initially won't even really confirm or deny that Fumanguru is dead. Which is weird to me. Yeah. It, at least acknowledge the guy's death. Yeah, he keeps saying news of the elders is only for the gods. Bellican reveals that he's not an idiot, and he begins to piece together that Tracker is up to something. That Tracker's certainly not here asking these questions for himself, because Tracker is, of course, an errand boy. So he starts trying to probe Tracker for a little information back, like, who's asking? What's what's going on here? <laughs> Works super well. Yeah, so Tracker kind of smoothly lies, well, Baku's got some surviving family, some local farmers. They're just interested in what happened to him. And Bellican gets real interested and suspicious about this story, <laughs> which is interesting in a two-pronged way, because he's suspicious that the story's not quite adding up, but also very interested if Baku has some surviving family. And Tracker picks up on both of those things. Oh, yes. So Tracker presses for details, and Bellican says, these guys all died of blood plague after he angered some Basimbi in a river. And Basimbi are a kind of water nymph. And this actually jumped out at me because this is the second person to tell Tracker this almost exact same lie. Because mm -hmm. the slaver said it, too. This feels like the blanket cover story that everyone agreed to. But Bellican admits that it's not even common knowledge because they didn't want to start a panic about a plague. Sorry, quote unquote, everyone. Yeah, the people in the know. Yeah. Because this is, again, this is the story that the slaver gave mm -hmm. him, too. If you're in the know, this is the lie that you know. Tracker presses about Basu's connection to King Quash. Bellican kind of dissembles. I wouldn't know about this. It's foolish to anger the king. Tracker says, I thought that was kind of the elder's job, is to anger the king. And interestingly, seems like you and the king are palsies, because the king's path through the town when he visits is marked in gold, and there's an arrow pointing right at your house, Mr. Guy. Big fancy golden one. Bellican says, well, you know, you're not really friends with the king. That's like saying you're friends with God. Like, <laughs> you want to be cordial with him, but does the king really have friends? Tracker kind of pivots and tries a different angle here and brings up his curse, talking about, you know, if I were to draw my blood right now, and Bellican completely betrays knowledge of the Omaluzu here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, immediately checks the ceiling. And also then says Omaluzu by name before Tracker ever does. Oh, yeah. So the guy knows about them. He also catches Bellican out in the lie about the Basimbi, pointing out, you know, I've met some Basimbi in my day. They're lake spirits. They don't like the river. So your story about him catching this blood plague from river spirits, not adding up. Also, there's no lake in Malakal. <laughs> so feeling like he's probing a little bit into the truth, he asks after Basu's youngest son. Bellican's like, yeah, he had a 15-year-old, so what? And Tracker is like, Basu Jr. was a lot younger than 15. What are you talking about? But Bellican is either a really good liar or legit does not know about the existence of Basu Jr. And Tracker certainly falls on the latter. 
over the course of this chapter. Yeah, that he legitimately doesn't know about the baby. Which ultimately, and we'll get to it, leads Tracker to believe that Bunshi is not being straight with him. Yes, she is good at telling the truth, just not the whole truth. Indeed. I have a theory about who Basu Jr. might actually be. All right. Now, Bellican has actually been ringing a bell for a servant to come and bring him some more breakfast uh, this <laughs> whole lot. time. And finally, the guards he was actually summoning show up, and Tracker just dispatches them, like, pretty pretty easily. One guy gives him a little bit of trouble, in fairness, but Bellican's guys can't best him. Tracker, Tracker has become very good. At killing people, yes. Yeah. For a guy who's not an assassin, who's pointedly not an assassin, he's very good at killing people. Bellican feebly grabs a sword. Tracker condescendingly offers him the first blow, then even offers to throw himself on the sword. But apparently Tracker cannot be killed by a sword. Well, this is where we learn something new about Tracker, isn't it? Yeah, I actually yeah. made a note here. There's another story for Nita to puzzle about. Right? Yeah. I totally want to know about the sword thing. And Tracker then kills the guy. Yeah. So To, to quote Tracker, I believe, uh, no sword can touch him. Does this mean that Tracker can never use a sword? Maybe. We've never seen him use a sword. No, he's got his little hatchets. Yeah. And knives. And we know he's just god-awful with a bow. It's so. true. Just questions I have. Like, does will he never ever get to fight with a sword? Or is it specific that no sword could hurt him? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I look forward to that story. So we smash cut to a few days later. Tracker, Leopard, and Fumali are back in the valley with the slaver and the people who will more or less be forming their adventuring party. More or less. Primarily Sogolon and Sadogo are there. Nika and Asaka will get to in a minute. The slaver provides them with a sack of silver each as an expense account, mentioning that uh, nothing in Congor is cheap, least of all information. He also warns them a bit about Congor's streets, saying they're confusing and may lead you astray, and I'm curious if that's literal or metaphorical. At this point, I genuinely don't know. It could be either or both. Indeed. Um, he also talks about a couple of the perils on the path to Congor, which he says can be circumvented if you don't mind adding basically like a week to your trip. Not that they're in a huge hurry, because, of course, the bad guys have a three-year lead on them already. But he mentions that you can either cross White Lake and the Darklands, which take about a day each, or you can go around them, which will add about three days each to your journey. Yeah. And these apparently are the two big trouble spots on the journey. <laughs> the hurdles, if you will. Yeah. Tracker actually is very familiar with the Darklands. And apparently Nika and Sogolon are also fairly familiar with it. And he thinks to himself in this moment, like, we're not going through the Darklands. So, of course, in this moment, you know, they're going to inevitably end up in the Darklands. <laughs> of course. The slaver also adds that Hank Dateman will be joining them. Uh, and then we learn Hank Damon's real name. Yeah, a guy's name is Bibi. Um, he's been apparently working as the slaver's date feeder. Everyone just kind of assumes that he's a slave, but he's actually a mercenary. Bibi Dateman, mercenary. Yeah, well, like, we'll learn a little bit more about him uh, and get quite attached to him. Tracker will also start to like him through the course of this chapter so that he can die. Spoiler alert. That's how that goes. Yeah. The slaver reiterates he wants the boy alive and he will meet them at the collapsed tower. When they get back. Yeah. And then he has a little private aside with Sogolon. Tracker notes the deal no longer seems to include proof of his death. And Tracker is still pretty convinced the boy is probably dead at this juncture. But we also know that, at the very least, Bunchi is fairly convinced the boy is still yeah, alive. Yeah, so. all, of, all of the folks who probably know more about this than Tracker do are all really convinced that he's alive. Yeah. So, eh, probably. Yeah. 
Nighthead takes the opportunity to chat with Tracker and asks what path they intend to take. And Tracker notes very quickly that his query does not seem to include him. And he reveals they have a different plan. They have recaptured the Lightning Lady. Yes. Who, I mean, we expected had survived the jump off the cliff. Oh, obviously. Yeah. It's pretty clear that they're going to basically chase after her in the hopes that she leads them to the child. Yeah, they're going to use her like a beacon. Yeah. I guess. More or less. And just let her free and follow where she goes. Yeah. and She's uh, their weird lightning lady compass. Yeah, she's pretty fleet of foot, but they've managed to acquire themselves a chariot to follow her in, so should be able to keep up, in theory. This is the weirdest adventuring party setup I've ever come across. Well, the slaver had earlier on mentioned that some of the people might be willing to work with Tracker. And others not so much, and it's pretty much clear here that Nika and Nasaka are working not necessarily at cross-purposes with the rest of the group, but have their own agenda. Well, Have we, their own plan. We clearly have an A-team and a B-team here. And the A-team seems to be Nika and Nasaka, actually. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So as they head off to follow the woman, the rest of the party takes off for the White Lake. And that is Tracker, Leopard, Bibi, Fumali, Sadogo, and Sogolon. Tracker is actually pleased to note that Sogolon travels light and seems to know how to ride a horse because he was initially expecting that the witch was going to be a bit of a burden. Yeah. And the funny thing is Sogolon is actually more concerned that Fumali is going to be a burden because he can't ride a horse and he's a petulant little jerk. <laughs> yeah, the whole Fumali tries to ride a horse section I thought was pretty amusing. Tracker quickly finds himself annoyed with literally everyone as they travel. Oh, he is just irate this whole trip. Yeah. Like the entire chapter worth of travel, he's just cranky. Uh, for the most part. Uh, up until he and Bibi start to gel in the course of the journey. And to to a certain extent, uh, Sadogo, too. Leopard is giving him the silent treatment for some reason that he can't suss out. Fumali is just, as I said, a petulant brat. At first, he's a little put off by BB because he feels like that guy's still just a slave and he's putting on an air right now. And he later realizes that's not the case. Sogolon, he doesn't like how arrogant she's coming across. And he's initially even a little perturbed by Sadogo because he's just being so quiet. And he realizes that he's alone in a crowd and it's made him quite miserable. Right? Poor guy. So he decides to start by talking with the Ogo and asks him a bit about himself, why he's working for the slaver, uh, if he's maybe working for the witch or the god instead, and Sadogo launches into soliloquy. This is the note I wrote about this whole bit, waiting for Godogo, <laughs> because that's exactly what happens. Kind of. Uh, if you're not familiar with the play Waiting for Godot, you've probably heard of it. There's a really weird and brilliant piece, uh, I'd say about two-thirds of the way through, where uh, this character shows up. He has no other lines in the whole rest of the show. He has nothing else to say except for the one time he speaks, and he speaks for pages. And it's just all stream of consciousness nonsense that comes out of his mouth. That's exactly what happens here with Sadogo. <laughs> to an extent. Someone finally asks him a question, and it's an excuse for him to just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and let it all out. 
and he actually kind of admits like, oh, everyone just assumes that I'm stupid. And so they don't really ask me to say much. So when I have the opportunity, I take it. I might be talking too much. And if that's the case, please let me know. I'm very socially awkward because I'm a giant man. And off he goes. Yeah. Through this conversation, he does admit that the slaver offered him the job. Um, and he drops in a little interesting tidbit here that might have passed by because it doesn't come back up in this chapter which is that the slaver ordered him not to harm Basu Jr. unless he is no longer a boy. And that is a quote, no longer a boy. And if he is no longer a boy, it's because he is an abomination. Right. So, vampire. Maybe? Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> like, that's that's what I gleaned from that. Yeah, but it's so open-ended and kind of vague. Um, He also mentions that he has heard of Sogolon by reputation. He calls her the Witch of the Moon. He says that she says she's from the West, but he pegs her as being more of a Southwesterner based on her smell, because apparently he also has a bit of a nose, though maybe not as keen as trackers. We also suspect Nisaka might as well have a bit of a nose, which might yeah. also be why Nika right. uh, hooked up with her, because he needed a new tracker. Well, he certainly wasn't going to get with his old tracker. No. And he's a little curious why actually Sogolon might have taken this job, because he's like, certainly she has no need for coin. So I'm wondering what's up with her. Sadogo, beyond that, just talks his ear off for the rest of the day, well into the evening. And Tracker's actually kind of happy for the distraction a little bit. Yeah, he's okay with it. Doesn't even really stop him. He's just legit like, no, no, you can keep going. It's fine. It's passing the time. So noting that Sadogo knows a little bit about Sogolon and seems to know a little bit about him, actually, he asks, well, do you know anything about Nika and Nasaka? And Sadogo's glare is actually amusing to him. He enjoys getting reactions out of other people. Well, not just that. He enjoys seeing that uh, Sadogo apparently doesn't have very high of an opinion of Nika, based on his reaction to him mentioning his name. Right. Um, the giant does say that Nika told him that he could trust Tracker with his life, so long as he believes that you're honorable. <laughs> Which is an interesting way to parse that phrase, because that is both a compliment from Nika and a grave insult. Because Nika's basically saying, yeah, no, Tracker's actually a really super cool dude to have at your back, and he will fight to the death for you. However, he's also a rube, and if he believes that you're honorable, he'll fall for anything, because he's naive. That's basically what Nika's saying. There. Yeah. So, super great guy. We already hate him. It's yeah. great. Tracker ends up chatting with BB Dateman here, too, while they're camping out for the night, and asks, so... Why is the slaver interested in working with Bunchi in the first place? Bibi says Kasawara is actually a little bit concerned by what he calls the silence of the gods and basically is working for Bunchi because he's just like, a god wants some help. I'm going to please that god. So Bibi actually says that he's being paid very good money to feed Kasawara because Kasawara gives all the rest of the work to his slaves. And this actually tracks mm -hmm. when I think about it because you can pay for loyalty. Yeah, you kind of can. BB's not a slave, he's a mercenary. So number one, he's a bodyguard, because he's very close at hand at all times. He's got the appearance of a slave, because he's feeding the dude dates. So people are going to assume that he's not much more than he appears, meaning that they'll let their guard down around him, maybe tell him something they shouldn't. And because he's not a slave, he has no motivation to poison and murder... His boss? Kasawura. <laughs> yeah. Because the dude's paying him good money. So that actually tracks. That's an important job that he wouldn't trust to just anyone. I also wonder if it isn't a little bit of uh, showmanship. 
I can afford to hire this skilled mercenary. I can afford to hire this very skilled mercenary to feed me dates. Yeah. Tracker also asks him about his sword. It's a Takuba, which is a straight double-edged blade, roughly a meter in length. Mm-hmm. A good um, fighting sword. Um, he reveals he's actually about 45, and Tracker is very surprised at his age. And in this time and place, I get the impression that at 45, BB would be considered an old man. Quite possibly. Especially one of his profession. Indeed. He admits he has fought in some previous conflicts, in particular the Areri Dula War, as it was called in the North. He notes with some amusement that in the South it's called the War of Northern Belligerence, despite the fact that the South started it. And he was a mercenary working for the Seven Wings Company. He also says King Quash's dad, turns out, was actually pretty good at war. And is the reason why the North won the war, basically. (laughs) Uh, Handily beating the Mad King of the South, despite the fact that you get the impression that the Southern forces might have been more numerous. Uh, That doesn't mean you're better at war. That's true. Apparently, King Quash Sr. had um, just a head for strategy and troop movement and had a a knack for leading the southern armies into a disadvantage, into a place where he had numerical superiority or uh, terrain advantage, that kind of thing, and had the ability to make it seem like he was just all over the place because he knew his land very well and he knew how to get his troops around very well. Yeah, this made him exceptionally good at war. Um, Tracker asks, well, how did a great mercenary warrior end up feeding dates to a fat slaver? And BB's like, eh, work is work. I'm not proud. I need to feed my family. <laughs> like, yeah. Got mouths to feed. And it's easy to do. Like, there's not, not uh, much going on there. Very little training required to feed dates. Yeah. Tracker then posits, so you're Cassowar's spy in our group. And BB's like, no, I'm basically here as a s- additional help in case there's a fight. Sogolon is the spy for Kasawara in your group. Like, he straight up calls her out on that. <laughs> and if it isn't super obvious already, come on. Yeah. They come to a suspicious watering hole following the trail left by Leopard and Sogolon, who have both gone on ahead. And Fumali, for the first time, notices that there's a lack of animals. And Tracker just doesn't want to hear it because of Fumali's attitude. Yeah. It doesn't problem, pay him much mind. The problem with being a petulant teen is that no one wants to listen to you even when you're right. Yeah, um, this isn't so much a case of crying wolf so much as just being a jerk. Yeah. And it's kind of unfortunate that Tracker doesn't perk up at this at this moment because it costs them dearly later. Well, not really. He does perk up at it. He just doesn't like admitting that he's right. No, he he actually, they they all kind of disregard this comment at this point. It's only later when he points it out again. That they all actually go, oh, dude's right, actually. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they do acknowledge it. He's just annoyed that he has to acknowledge it. He just hates that he's right because he's such a jerk. Yeah. We also learn a little bit from BB about where the title The Red Wolf comes from. Apparently, it's Nika's nickname for Tracker. And Tracker admits it's a little bit mocking because I used to rub red ochre on my skin. And Nika said only coup women did that. And BB's like, mm, if I'm honest, yeah, that's kind of a woman thing. <laughs> Yeah, but something, something, Tracker, something, something, woman parts. Yeah. Um, He asks about the wolf part, and Tracker's like, hello, wolf eye. (laughs) Should be (laughs) obvious. Hello. But BB's smart enough to be like, I don't think that's the whole story, but I'm willing to let it drop for Oh, 100% is not the whole story, and we are eventually going to get to it, I hope. 
They come to an intersection and Tracker leads them left. And again, Fumali notes the lack of animals. And Tracker again wants to dismiss him because he's really hating the kid's attitude. But Bibi's like, no, you know what? The kid's right. Something is definitely up. So Tracker hushes Sadogo, who's been just chatterboxing the whole time. Yak, yak, yak. Takes a deep breath and smells something familiar. Familiar and wrong. And this actually harkens back to his encounter with a Samba Sam, is what I get the impression of. Right? Yeah. That that human, fresh human meat blood smell? Indeed. Yeah. So Bibi tells Fumali, grab Leopard's bow and get off your horse. Uh, Sadogo pulls on some fighting gauntlets. And Bibi draws his Takuba, and they all go wading into the bush. And they come up across a camp where they see basically a critically injured boy being spit-roasted. And, and a girl tied up to a tree. And they just charge the camp. We don't even get uh, an indication of what they're fighting at first. Because they want to get the jump on this group. They want to ambush them before they're noticed. Yeah. Um, they're quickly joined by Leopard and Sogolon as well, and pretty much quickly dispatch the inhabitants of the group. Well, because there's only like four of them. Yeah. Sadogo Mercy kills the boy. No one's upset about it. No. And the rescued girl tells them, we were, we're not prisoners. We are offerings to the Zogbanu, and you shouldn't have come here. Yewe Zogbanu are horned jungle trolls, basically. Yeah. They're more or less described it like that later on too. Yeah, they're full of they're full of like spiky horns. Uh, they were likened to uh, rhinoceros horns. Yeah, so it's like their hair. Yeah, grows into horns basically. Yeah, but like all over their body. And they are man eaters. Yes, very much so. And there are a lot of them. Yeah, the group gets curious actually why swamp trolls would be here in the forest miles from swamp. <laughs> What What's going on? Why are they so far afield roving around? And Leopard's the one who quickly puts it together. Someone told these trolls there was going to be a buffet passing through. Us. Yes. Specifically. That means there's been betrayal. Someone has tipped <laughs> off the bad guys. Yeah. The girl starts screaming again, and it's at this juncture that they realize she's not screaming in terror. She's actually trying to draws Zogbanu reinforcements. And the group basically makes a mad dash and are immediately swarmed by trolls. Just oh, yeah. from every direction. Oh, yeah. Dozens upon dozens of them. Yeah, Sogolon gets injured by throwing daggers, and BB is dead. <laughs> Can we talk about this for a minute? Yes. I was upset by that. Oh, I was too. We We got this beautiful character piece. I thought we were adding another like character to our journey someone else to get to know right someone we were going to care about because we did start caring about him as tracker did yeah and then he is that that rug is swiftly pulled out from under our feet and bb dateman is killed and i actually feel bad for his family here's the thing um i think at this juncture it's safe to say that we shouldn't get attached to anybody outside of tracker and maybe leopard <laughs> Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be Game of Thrones ish, isn't it? I mean, Marlon James jokingly told uh, an interviewer at one point that he wanted to write the Black Game of Thrones. He was being very facetious, and that was meant a little tongue in cheek. But I mean, this is a bleak novel. It's real grim I'm so a, far. I'm gonna raise an eyebrow at that. So because so far he keeps killing off people I like. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's. Uh, We'll get to this because it dawned on me this chapter how bleak this novel has been so far. 
And I, I do want to comment on it a little more. But back to our to our recap here. The group makes it, including the girl, uh, make it to the lake. And everyone boards what Tracker initially assumes is a raft. And he notes that it's being piloted by Bunchy, who apparently got there before them. Tracker wants to go back and save BB, but everyone's like, dude's dead. Don't even bother. And, and he's like, no, no, that's not how these guys operate. Yeah. They'll keep him alive because they want their meat living. Long story short, he does make a trek back. It's too late. That was the part that got me. Because A, B.B. Dateman is dead, and I was upset. B, it was this whole... I was expecting a big rescue that seemed to be what we were leading up to. Mm -hmm. Was this little side tangent where we go rescue B.B. Dateman. But no, he has this weird conversation with Bunchy where she disguises him. Yeah, there's... They go back into the forest to prove that B.B.'s dead... And then they go back to the raft. Yeah. It's, it takes, uh, the rescue attempt is a paragraph long and it ends in abject failure. Yeah. Yeah. So I admit I was disappointed. I was kind of hoping we were going to rescue B.B. Dateman. Nope, and have did. And have a chance for some more heroics. Nope, he's gone. Well, that sucks. The next morning, everyone awakens on the weird raft. Tracker asks the girl who calls herself Venon, though that is apparently more of a title than a name. Uh, why the Zogbanu were there, and Tracker wonders if Kasawura sold them out. And Sogolon's like, no, that's nonsense. Um, why would he hire you just to sell you out? Yeah, and Tracker's like, mm, I don't I don't know, it still smells like betrayal. Um, he also notes that Bunchy's down in the water and asks, what's she up to? And Sogolon's like, well, here's the deal. She's actually asking Chip Falambula's permission for us to be riding her back, and... Tracker's like, excuse me, what? And realizes they're actually on a giant fish. Yes. Quote, unquote, fish. Fish-esque. Fish, fish-esque. Um, Fish-ish? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm, like, we're riding on the giant fish's back. Surely that's permission. And Sogolon's <laughs> like, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Foolish Tracker. New. No. Chip, Chip Falambula will take you to the middle of the lake and then eat you. The question is, will Chip Falambula take us to the other side of the lake? Everybody gets to at least the middle. Yeah. Tracker also catches up with Leopard a little bit here, um, who, as previously mentioned, has been giving him the silent treatment basically f since they left. Clearly there's something up. Especially because Tra Leopard is spending more time with Fumali and deferring to Fumali throughout this chapter. Yeah. Much more than he does to Tracker. Tracker does, however, also catch Leopard up a little bit and is like, so... Before we left, I actually caught up with Bellican the Big, one of the local elders, and I'm suspicious that he didn't know about Basu Jr. So I'm wondering if the boy we're looking for isn't actually Basu's son. Something else might be afoot. Maybe. I have a theory. Good. I'm glad you do. I don't. What if he's King Quash's son? Oh. Might explain why the king is so interested in rubbing him out if he's a potential heir in the wings. And King Quash is concerned about his position. Maybe. That seems kind of weak. Why wait three years to hunt him down then? Again, they didn't know he was alive. Yeah, but if they didn't have evidence of his death. But they didn't have any evidence that he was alive, and everyone else who was there was dead. Remember, Bellican the Big straight up says, I counted all the dead, and I counted for everybody. Yeah, there were eight. But... He didn't know Basu Jr. was supposed to be there, so he could easily have reported to the king's men, yeah, everyone in that house is dead. And the king's men would have been super cool, that's exactly what we wanted, and away they go. 
And then years later, they find out, oh, it turns out someone actually survived that massacre. And it's probably the one person we wanted dead. Besides Basu Sr. Yeah, I still think there are some holes. But maybe it's because, as with so many other things, I don't have all of the stories. Indeed. My working theory at the moment is that he's not Basu's son, that he's the king's son. It's, It's not a bad theory. Yeah. So the group arrives at the far shore on the threshold of the Darklands, and almost immediately, Sogolon is under assault. Uh, Leopard and Fumali are like, oh, the old woman's gone mad. No, uh, <laughs> she's being smacked around yeah. by invisible... By ghosts, Yeah, it turns out. At invisible least that's the explanation somethings. we get. Um, yeah, because it just looks like she's just being pummeled. Yeah, the old witch scratches some runes in the dirt to make a ward and the spirits assailing her fall back. And Tracker thinks, so you've really pissed off some ghosts, lady. <laughs> and What'd you do? Yeah, she and Bunchy kind of downplay this and say this isn't the case. It's just that there's a lot of ghosts in the Darklands waiting on the threshold for someone to come by. Whenever there's a witch that comes by, they get really aggressive because they want some help and they get angry when she doesn't offer it. And Tracker's like, I've met witches. Like, this is not normal. And she's always drawing wards in the air, in the dirt. She's always casting runes around herself. Right. Because she is protecting herself from something. Something's out to get her. She is pissed something off. Yes. I can't wait to find out what. Sogolon, however, makes it pretty clear at this juncture she is not stepping one foot in the Darklands. And she and Venon hop up on her horse and she's like, I'm, I'm taking the long route around. Y'all do what you want. Yeah, she would rather go the long way with Shrieky Girl yeah. than through the Darklands. Though Venon hasn't shrieked since and seems to be deferring to Sogolon, so there's clearly a bit of a relationship growing there. Something. Yeah. And the part that amuses me is that Tracker is, like, ready to go with them. Oh, He's yeah. Like, no, no, I ain't going through there. A hundred percent. Been there, done that, not doing it again. We're going around. Yeah, Tracker's absolutely with the witch. He's like... The Darklands are dangerous. They're best avoided. The stuff that's in there you do not want to mess with. And Leopard and Fumali are just full of themselves and are like, oh, because the mighty tracker can't handle a little bit of rough terrain, we can't handle a little bit of rough terrain. And away they go. And tracker's legit hurt (laughs) that Sudoku goes with them. And it's just like, seriously, man, I thought we were pals. Come on, my dude. So yeah, so he starts following uh, the witch and Shrieky. Yeah, Tracker is really actually put out by Leopard's a- attitude here, and that Leopard wouldn't trust him when he says that it's like a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. And Tracker's right back to being cranky again. Sadogo, Venon, and Tracker don't make it twenty feet before Sadogo's like, "Dude, are you seriously going to let those guys wander through the Darklands?" And Tracker's like, "Yeah, huh." <laughs> They made their bed. They get to lay in it. And she's like, in all seriousness, the stupid boy, the foolish cat, and the idiot giant are not going to survive unless they have someone with them who knows the Darklands. And Tracker's like, ugh. You you didn't have to to write those words. You could just hear the the sigh coming out of Tracker. (laughs) And that's pretty much where we end Chapter 9. And next up will be chapter 10, The Darklands. Yeah, 100% the next chapter starts with him turning around and venturing into the Darklands after those idiots. Yeah. I'm amused at the end of the chapter 
by Sogolon's comment about Bunchi's fellowship and how it was doomed from the start, quote, because you can't have fellowship among men. And that feels like a really cynical dig at Tolkien. (laughs) Really cynical dig at Tolkien. (laughs) Yeah, it was funny. Not only is that a really cynical and bleak dig at Tolkien, it seems to be the philosophy of this book so far, because there has Tracker has never known fellowship in his life. His family, his friends, his acquaintances, his enemies, everyone he's ever met has betrayed him at every turn. And his philosophy of nobody loves anybody has borne out so far. Yep. He has no reason at all to believe that there is any other truth in the world. Correct. And that is real dark, Marlon James. (laughs) And I hope that the rest of the book turns that around. The irony is that Tracker does care about people. His philosophy is nobody loves anybody, but like if that were true, if he really didn't care about anybody, Leopard and Fumali and Sadogo would be dead. And he would travel with Sogolon around the Darklands and he would not care. But the fact that he turns around, the fact that he goes back into a throng of jungle trolls to try to save Bibi, despite the fact that the man is almost certainly dead. And everyone tells him that. He basically throws in their faces that they're abandoning them. And he's the only one who's willing to go back is the proof that that logic is flawed. Oh, yeah. The Tracker whole... wants fellowship. How many times <laughs> did he go back for the Mingi children? Yeah. Right? The whole opening of of our story. It's about a guy who cares too much in a cynical world that doesn't care enough. Right? In it's a way. Sad. It's the same it's the same problem that he had with Nika. He put too much faith in Nika and Nika betrayed him because of course he did. Of course he did. So far the only person who hasn't blatantly betrayed him has been Leopard. And kinda. the way kind of and the way those two are treating each other, it's like Tracker's just waiting for it. Oh, Tracker is 100% just waiting for it. And Leopard hasn't given him any reason to not suspect that it's coming. Right? Especially That's now that... That's what I mean. It's the way they treat each other. Especially because Leopard's now decided to be temperamental and is giving him the cold shoulder and is giving him attitude. I can only assume that Leopard's going to be eating... That Leopard and Fumali in particular will be eating their words before they're out of the Darklands. Maybe. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if Fumali doesn't make it through the Darklands. Ooh, I didn't even consider that. I mean, the title of the book is Black Leopard, Red Wolf. doesn't mention the third wheel. (laughs) To be fair, there's lots of wheels right now. That's true. See how many wheels we lose. I'm also curious how Nika and Nasaka's journey is going, because I have the suspicion that their plan to track the Lightning Woman directly to the vampire, probably not going to work out all that great. My guess is they're going to lose her. Uh, Well, they're either going to lose her or they're going to find themselves quickly and over their heads. Because, I mean, the paths of the two groups have to cross again at some oh, point, right? Oh, of course right? they do. And so, like, it would, be, it would be a really weird novel if Tracker has all these misadventures, gets to Congor, finds out some information, and then Nika and Asaka just show up with the boy and are like, we already won. We got it. Good Thanks, day. everybody. And Bye. end of story. That would be super yeah. weird. So. No, no, no. <laughs> Just the fact that she can, you know, leap off cliffs and scale mountains Again, and she's, giant walls. She's and... overflowing with vampire magic. Exactly. But a person like that is hard to follow when you can't do that. Well, that's why they have a chariot. Chariot? Try... Okay, yeah, chariot can follow someone off a cliff? No, but you can try to make up some of the time with the speed. They might be faster than her. It's just that she can go straight as the crow flies, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. So... Chariots are not uh, all-terrain. 
So you're going to want to catch up on chapter 10 in time for next week. In the meantime, you know, Tracker had a great opportunity in this chapter to bond with Bibi Dateman. And uh, it really was a conversation between two people who have very different life experiences and who are very different ages and have uh, a different perspective because of that. And wouldn't you know it, but there's actually a local podcast, which is all about conversations between uh, two different generations discussing topics from different perspectives. And Anita's going to tell you all about it. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by The Shared Mic. Can you remember the last time you spoke to someone from a totally different generation who wasn't a member of your family? There's so much we can learn from listening to people both younger and older than ourselves. The Shared Mic, Conversations for the Ages, is a unique interview format intergenerational podcast by age-friendly Edmonton, bringing together people of different ages and backgrounds to discuss topics that matter to them. Season 2 is out now and features conversations about cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theatre, volunteerism, and much more. Find The Shared Mic on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. The Shared Mic. Sounds neat. Yeah. One of the uh, many great podcasts currently spilling out from our city. I know I'm going to have to start listening to podcasts again when I go back to work and catch up on like the last year. Good luck. <laughs> I know. There's been a lot of them. Being um, on maternity leave does not necessarily leave a lot of time for me to listen to podcasts like I used to. Well, if you have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, um, there are plenty of them right now on the Alberta Podcast Network. And we are a proud member, and many other shows of quality are available on the network. You should yes. check them all out right now. AlbertaPodcastNetwork.com. You're going to find something that you like. Guaranteed. When you find it, download it on your podcatcher of choice. And while you're there, maybe stop by and give us a little rating and a review. We helps. like feedback. Yeah, it helps our optics. It definitely helps out the podcast. We had this whole plan where we were going to thank people with, like, physical gifts in the mail and then a pandemic happened and we don't want to accidentally spread disease everywhere so we've <laughs> held off on that so we've not done that maybe something in the future to look forward to um besides that uh you can also reach out to us on social media you can find us on twitter instagram facebook and goodreads we are at the read along on most of those correct uh, or, if you desire more characters than that, you can send us an email. Also correct. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. <laughs> and with that said, as always, we love you very much. And we'll see you next time. Waiting for Godogo. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs>